Well, I want to start by saying, welcome, people of valor. All right? And uh, I say that because that's the same line. It's a biblical line. It was, uh, welcome, greetings, O man of valor, in the story of Gideon, right? In the story of Gideon, when Gideon was cowardly hiding and doing a harvest, trying to hide it from the people that kept stealing all the stuff, and he gave the angel a hard time and all that. But he turned out to be a person of great valor, right? So God often addresses people not for who they are, but who they will be. And that's what I'm doing with you, all right? So it's welcome, people of valor, great courage, spiritual-wise. And so I'm going to give you the talk about a military person looks at uh, Ignatian exercises. I am a retired military officer. I was in the Navy for 30-plus years, and um, the last 20 of which I was a chaplain. The first part, I was a submarine officer, so go figure, right? I tell people I saw the light, and it wasn't coming from the reactor compartment. So, <laughs> so anyway... Um, I think having a military perspective on the exercises is a good thing because that's where Ignatius was coming from. He was a military guy. You know, whenever I think of Ignatius, I like to think of Antonio Banderas, right, in Zorro, right? <laughs> he was a fiery Hispanic Basque. Uh, that was in the military, and he had a profound experience of God. And he took his military background, and he applied it to himself, and then he applied it to the order that he formed later, the Jesuits. The Jesuits operate under a general, all right? They have a general. They're, they are a command structure, just like the military. But... Um, so that's what you get, and he kept a journal, which is, we're really going to emphasize journal keeping for you, uh, and we're going to talk about that specifically today a little bit later, but I mean, that, those journal entries found, form the foundation of these exercises that have been going on now for so many years. I, I have no idea how many people total have been exposed to the Ignatian exercises, and actually, I mean, I've been through a lot of Protestant spiritual formation, and... They steal liberally from the exercises. They don't do the whole exercises, but they'll take this part, they'll take imaginative prayer, they'll take the exam, and they'll take all kinds of things. So um, anyway, that's what they do, and it's a good thing. Um, so they've got a military feel, and I think it's a good thing because in reality, right, we live in Wheaton, and we live in, I live down in Naperville, you know, it's kind of a suburban park kind of feel to the place. You know, after 30 years in the military, living all over the world, not in the garden spots of the world, um, living in Naperville was a real shock to me. You know, the whole place feels like a giant park. All right? But in reality, um, we do not live in a park. Okay? I mean, as Christians, we live on a battlefield. We really do, and we've, we forget that. We forget that. Uh, we, you know, our, our needs are met. We sleep safely in our beds, uh, and we don't worry about it. But I'm always struck. You know, Paul wrote uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, he said, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're in, in battle. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I mean, we really are on a battlefield. And, and you can see the wounded all around you. People that are emotionally wounded, you know, that are having all kinds of issues, even in our wonderful park setting. You may be one of the wounded yourself. I almost guarantee it. If you're here, you've got wounds. You've got issues that have been dogging you. And uh, a lot of people come to Church of the Resurrection because they have this emphasis on healing. And not just physical, spiritual healing. And it's a very attractive thing. And I do think the church should be like, like a hospital. Right? If you're ever on a military forward operating base, they have a medical area. That's where everybody goes. You get your wounds cared for. You get some rest. So you get, you know, and then you can go back into the battle. That's what church should be like. So we see the wounded all around us. And you know, so what are we going to do? We're going to try and in these exercises, to take a look at ourselves, to experience some healing, and then, but it's all got a purpose, right? And the purpose is not so that we can just sit and feel, oh, I feel so healed, all right? It's so we can go back into the fight, right? So we can go back into the fight. The fight will end one day, right? Christ will come back. He will end the battle. It will be over. But until that time, you know, it's not just about us feeling good. That's a good thing, and we want that, but there's a purpose for that. It's so that we can feel good, go back into the fight. So um, that brings us to boot camp. Once again, welcome, courageous people. Now drop and give me 20. No. Um, it's going to be very different. I spent uh, six years, three years on the staff at Navy boot camp, and yes, three years on the staff at Marine Corps boot camp. So I am a boot camp expert, all right? Uh, we, will, we will call you names here, all right? <laughs> you know, at, at boot camp, you know, they're fond of things like maggot, and uh, recruit is the approved thing. But here we may call you fellow soldier, right? Paul used that terminology in his letters, right? We might even call you beloved, right? That biblical terminology. I mean, we're here, we're not going to call you rec recruits, you know, we'll, we'll just call you nice things. We're not going to say, drop and give me 20, but we might say, kneel and give me 30, you know, 30 minutes in prayer. You can do it. We can do an hour. Maybe, you, maybe you've never done that before. We're going to help you so that that is not just some sort of an endurance contest you spend chasing your tail, although there will be some of that involved. The pictures up there are from a Marine Corps boot camp on that lovely Paris Island, South Carolina, where I lived the longest three years of my life. Anyway, uh, there will be some mud crawling here, all right? The mud I'm talking about is we're going to Take a look back through your lives. That's part of the first part of boot camp. You're going to look at your sinfulness. There's no muddier mud than that mud, all right? And there will be some, uh, some high ropes, you know, where you get to uh, look at how God has lifted you up, which is really a, you know, that should, that should make your heart feel warm, fuzzy, all right? God has lifted you up. But the mud crawling comes first. 
Uh, we hoped at, at Marine Corps Boot Camp to build esprit de corps, right? We're trying to build, that literally means the spirit of the body, right? Hey, we're Christians here, right? We got that one, all right? God has poured out his spirit into us. It's a fact. We just need to embrace that. Um, and it's guaranteed. So, have any of you here been through military boot camp? Not a one. I usually get one. Uh, well, it's uh, the purpose of boot camp. Oh, <laughs> that's a graduate degree. <laughs> The purpose of boot camp, a lot of people think the purpose of boot camp is physical fitness, or the purpose of boot camp is for the people to learn to wear their uniform so they don't embarrass themselves and the rest of the country. None of that is the purpose of boot camp. The purpose of military boot camp is to change the person's worldview. Absolutely no question. We used to talk about it all the time. We want to change them from a civilian that is just looking out for number one taking care of themselves into somebody who has a warrior mindset. We want them to think as a warrior where the mission comes first, where the people around them matter more than themselves. We want to change their worldview. And that's part of what really is going on when we're talking about transformation intensive here. You know, as Christians, I think your worldview has already been changed. But we want to take it to that next level. You know, we want to kindle that flame that's within. And uh, so, boot camp. What do you bring to boot camp? Hopefully. Oh, it's one of those sequenced ones. What do you bring to boot camp? Right, the right answer is nothing. All right? You bring yourself. Go ahead, you can put it up. You know, when Christ came to earth, he did what? He emptied himself, right? He took on the form of a servant, you know? Sitting here, I, I've seen some of, a little bit about some of your backgrounds. We have advanced degrees. We have all kinds of experience. We have people that uh, just have great backgrounds, you know? Leave it behind, all right? You're going to stand, not before me, you're going to stand before God, all right? What did Paul talk about his, all of his accomplishments? You know, they, they, were, they were nothing before God, nothing before God. And, th and that's how we come. I used to get a kick on meeting the bus when the new recruits would come to Marine Corps boot camp. You can see it on YouTube if you want to see it. It's, yeah, it's scary. Um, but it's always amazing what they bring with them. And they're told, don't bring anything but your clothes, maybe 20 bucks in your pocket, and the manila envelope they gave you but they show up with backpacks full of stuff. And it's always a hoot because they make them dump it out and they go through there and, oh, and we just have a riot dis <laughs> discussing what, why they brought what they brought. And then it all has to be boxed up and kept until they graduate boot camp. It has to be boxed, sealed. Oh, and so we wish they wouldn't bring any, it just gets in the way. So hopefully you can leave behind all those things, you know, and, and I guess it's at the beginning of Hebrews. Paul says, let's, let's, let's run the race, right, that, that you've laid out for us. Let's leave behind all those things that hold us back and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance, right? 
And the, and, and the word, I think, that's used there about the race is the Greek word for agony. It's hard. It, it, you feel it. It hurts. It requires effort. This is going to require effort. There are going to be, you may not believe this, but there are going to be times when you're not going to want to pray. When so many other things will look more attractive. And we're hoping that, and when we go to, through this together as a group, and you know you're going to sit down in your group the following week, and somebody's going to ask you, how was your prayer? You really want to have something to say. So if nothing else, we'll take that, you know, your own self-motivation, because I want to have something to say, I will pray instead of watching the news. Much better for you to pray than watch the news anyway. Um, but we want you to also bring with you nothing but your own attentiveness. And we, you're going to really work on being attentive to yourself, to what's going on inside yourself. Your emotions, how does your body feel, and I don't know, I'll speak to the guys for a minute. The last thing we want to think about are our emotions usually, okay? Yeah. Nod your head like this, if that's true. But we're going to force you, we're going to push you on that. You know, the group leaders are going to ask you, you know, about your emotional stuff. And we're going to encourage you to write in your journals about that. So you, you have to be attentive. And that often requires just slowing down. Usually we're living our lives, especially as Americans, going like Mach 2 with our hair on fire. We don't feel like we're really contributing as human beings unless our schedule is maxed out and, you know, we're just feeling really important, right? I'd love to pray, but boy, I got so much to do. I'm, I'm really needed. Um, so we need you to, to be attentive to yourself. We also need you to have ears to hear. All right, in Marine Corps boot camp, the way they get quiet, the drill instructors will say, ears, and they all scream, open, sir. And then there is absolute silence after the deafening open, sir. We could practice that. No, we won't do that. <laughs> but that's biblical, right? One of the first prayers, hear, O Israel. Right? And Jesus even quoted that. Heroes are Israel. The Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, hear, hear, O Israel. You want to be open. You want to hear. Um, and have a sense of history. Yeah, a sense of history. We really go after that in the military. We want people to think of themselves as part of a group bigger than themselves, you know, and you learn about the great history of the Marine Corps. You don't want to be the one to screw it up, so you keep that in the back of your mind, you know. And, you know, I put Hebrews up there, right? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? Christians that, that go forth, and that's the end of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is a great faith chapter, right? Talking about all the martyrs and great things of faith that they did. You know, we want to be part of that. We don't want to screw that up either, right? So, but also the history of people who have gone through these exercises. You may not like the Jesuits. I'm not a big Jesuit fan, and I'll explain. I can tell you a little Jesuit history that explains a little of that. But, but they did go and do amazing things. You know, you read about where they went in the world and what they did, and it's, it's staggering. So... I think it's important. And courage. You know, we sh at Marine Corps Boot Camp, they shave people's heads at first. And it's really weird because, you know, a lot of, especially the guys with long hair. But you begin to see each other. I mean, if you get your head shaved, you see yourself very differently. You know, you're like, oh, 
scar, scar, ooh, I got dandruff, ooh, I got all this nasty stuff on my head. When we meet in our groups and we share our hearts, you're going to see the nasty stuff in other people's lives and in your own life, and other people are going to see it, and that's a good thing. It really is a good thing. Sometimes just taking the secret dark things that we have out there and pulling them into the light really makes a difference, really makes a difference. And I encourage you to be open in your groups, not to be afraid to pull out that ugly thing that you've been hiding, and let it be displayed, shine some light on it. The other thing I would encourage you is keeping secrets, right? Confidentiality, what people say in the group, is not for repetition. It's not to be repeated. And, and you really need to guard that because if that breaks down, that's pretty much the end of the confident sharing within the group. So, you know, bring uh, that courage to go ahead and expose yourself, but also that strength to keep other people's secrets. Keep other people's secrets. And then uh, motivation, right? Get motivated. In the military, I, it's so funny, I used to do a lot of counseling, a lot of marital counseling, you know, and the people with the most problems were the people on the staff, right? And boot camp is loud. It's really loud. And in the Marine Corps, you're not motivated unless you're loud, all right? Very loud. And so people would go home and they'd, they'd be yelling at home all the time. <laughs> and, you know, their wives would say, my husband is mad all the time. They'd think, well, actually, he's just really motivated. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was hard to communicate, yeah. So, but really, here, we're, we're not going to get you screaming, oorah, or, you know, the army says, hua. I haven't figured that out either. But, you know, but they always yell it. You know, and here, I think it's almost the reverse. You know, we get quiet, you know. We, we want to go before the Lord spiritually, humbly. But in all honesty, I'll take a good amen every now and then, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Anything, anything. <laughs> Got to keep me motivated, huh? All right, so let's take a look at the exercises. And they, they divide up pretty good into... To, we divide them into four sections, and I'll do one, two, and then I put three and four together. We're calling them movements. If you look in Ignatius's writings, he calls them weeks because he was kind of thinking about doing a whole month, so the first week would be like this, second week. But, but they're really movements, kind of like a symphony. And the first one, purgation. These are classic movements from spirituality. By the way, I don't think Ignatius invented the exercises out of just himself. There was plenty of history before him that he also drew on. Um, but purgation, dealing with your sinful past, God is holy, and sin is always a barrier to a holy God. So we want to deal with our sinful pasts, and thankfully, in Jesus Christ, his shed blood, we have the means to completely deal with our past. Um, and we want to we replace, I don't know what picture of God you have in your mind, but uh, we, I put, I think, Rembrandt's, part of Rembrandt's picture about the prodigal, that's the father embracing the prodigal uh, on return. 
We want you to know yourself sure as sinners, but we want you to know yourselves as beloved sinners. You are the beloved of God. We are the beloved of God. And we, we really, I think that's one of the devil's sneakiest tricks, is to get us thinking that we're other than that, that God despises us, that we've been so bad that God can't deal with us anymore. God's dealt with a lot worse than you and me uh, and Paul. So, uh, you know, I do not have a watch. Okay. I'm tracking now. I, 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 and I do. You know, we, you are not only beloved, but you are adopted into his family. You're adopted into his family. You may not feel like it, but the Bible says it over and over again that you are adopted. And you're, you're not only, a, you're, you're not like the redheaded stepchild, all right? You're an heir. You're a joint heir with Christ. An heir means you get an inheritance, right? You are in a good position in the family, and that's a great blessing. I, my first Marine Corps unit, I was assigned, I'd never been with the Marines before, I was assigned as a chaplain to a group called Armored Assault Battalion. And uh, manly men, every one of them, um, out on Okinawa, and I remember it was like my first week there, and I was talking to the colonel and the executive officer, and I was they were asking me about the Marines, and I was saying, well, your Marines this, and your Marines that, and your Marines that, and they stopped me. And they said, we don't want to hear that kind of talk anymore, chaplain. You are one of us. You are in this family. If something happens to you, we are coming for you. And, I mean, we have to have that same attitude. You are adopted. You're part of the family. And he's coming for you, all right? may not be tomorrow. Tomorrow would be good, though, right? We wouldn't need this at all. <laughs> But be part of the family. Feel that you belong. You do indeed belong. Um, know yourself as a love sinner. You're part of the family. You're loved. And we're going to talk about the principle and foundation. Ignatius is going to tell you the meaning of life. All right? And when you know the meaning of life, you know how to value everything else that's out there. All right? You know how, because you compare it to that core, important, most meaningful thing. And things are either helpful toward it, hurtful toward it, or neutral. And you can value everything else in your life based on that. So I'm not going to steal all the thunder so that when that comes up, you know the value of everything. So the first movement, purgation, dealing with your sin, being a love sinner. Second movement, illumination. Right, I love that picture. Um, no, when I if you want to read a great book on the Holy Spirit, I love J.I. Packer's book on the Holy Spirit. You know, Packer's a sophisticated guy. It's a sophisticated book. But he's got one analogy of the Holy Spirit in there that, that really speaks to me. He says the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is it's like a spotlight. You know, behind you, you can't see it, but he's shining over your shoulder and illuminating Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's why I think that's why I love this, this title, Illumination. In the second movement, we're going to start stepping into the life of Christ. And I mean stepping in. 
by imaginative prayer. We're going to step into a lot of the historical scenes. We're not going to do, you know, we're not going to step into the teaching, the theology so much, but we're going to step into the scenes so you can be like one of Christ's disciples. And being there and experiencing Jesus. You know, at Marine Corps boot camp, they want these young, selfish, punk kids that are often from gangs to be transformed like the guys that they have teaching them, these Marines, Marines, that they get to be drill instructors. And one of the things they do with them is they have the drill instructors live with them 24-7. It's really hard on the drill instructors. It really is. So there's usually like three of them assigned and they rotate. But they live with them. They live in the barracks with them. Partly they keep order, but they also, you know, they're there. They see them. They imitate them. And that's part of what we're doing in these exercises. We want in prayer for us to live with Jesus, to be around Jesus, to sit by his side, to hear him teach, to see what he does, to have him look us in the eye. I mean, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you ever make eye contact with Jesus? It, it'll change you. It will change you. It'll put a lump in your throat. We get to the passion. You realize what Christ really did for you? Ah, you know, if, if that doesn't put a lump in your throat, we'll run you through again. <laughs> now, when you, when, you, when you really know somebody, um, you're changed by that. You are changed by that. Um, so, and we also, again, we have this Holy Spirit living within us to help with this process. This isn't something we're just made up. The Holy Spirit, I think, loves to do this. So you're not asking for something, you know, that's, that's weird or, you know, non-biblical, special just for you. Um, and and uh, we want to see some passion kindled with you. And it looks different in everybody but a passion to serve the living God, um, the, the heart to be engaged, and then to give you a confidence. I put that as the last. You can, I've been kind of jumping around. You know, the Bible tells you a lot of things, but it doesn't. I've, I've never read a passage in there that says, George, you should go be a chaplain. You know, that would have helped a great deal. But at some point, you have to take what you've got there and apply it to yourself. What does God want me to do? And that's often the catch. We want you to be you know, so close with Christ that you can discern with confidence what he wants for you to do, that you can really feel a confidence. And so when you get that flame going in your heart, you want to get out there and do something that you can do with confidence what Christ wants you to do. So the second movement, illumination. We had purgation, illumination, and now kind of the final of the third and fourth. I lumped it together in union. Yes, ma'am. Oh, it's, it's by J.I. Packer. I think he only wrote one book on the Holy Spirit. I think it's like keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful book. But the third and fourth movement, union with Christ. I mean, this is when we get down to union, his passion, and his resurrection. I mean, these are 
these are just tremendous things. They're hard to walk through. It's a dark time. It overlaps with Lent, right, as we do this. And yeah, it's not exactly fun. Uh, but, you know, we're calling today boot camp, but really this is kind of the boot camp part, right? There's, you, you kind of experience the darkness with Christ and see what he really did. You, I, at, at Marine Corps boot camp, I just got all these parallels. They have something at the end of boot camp they call the crucible, where they take the Marines out and, you know, the recruits, and they're not Marines yet. Nobody gets to be called a Marine until you go through the crucible. And they take them out for, it's like 72 hours, and it's pretty much no food, no sleep, and it's just run, 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 do this, do that, do this, and all these things at night. And, uh, yeah, it's really devastating. It's very hard. And then the last day of the crucible, you know, they wake up at, in the middle of the night, and they do this long march, and they march back, and they're back at the center of the base uh, when the sun comes up, and they put the flag up, and they have this big ceremony, and after that, they go, the commanding general goes down the line and gives every Marine the eagle, globe, and anchor symbol of the Marine Corps, and from then on, they're called Marine. And if you know the Marines, even when you leave the Marine Corps, you don't stop being a Marine. Okay, you, you know, you hear people like, yeah, I, I used to be a Marine. Nope, you're always a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. If I played uh, the Marine Corps hymn right now, or the, the, not the hymn, sorry, but if I played the Marine Corps anthem, if there were any Marines within earshot, they would stand, whether they'd been out for two days or 25 years, they would stand, and uh, I always get a kick out of that. You know, and when we go into this, this last segment of Christ's passion, it's like going through the crucible with our Lord, you know, and being there and seeing him. And sometimes we'll even do something that we, we, we talk, we call it a little conversation with Jesus as he's on the cross. To have a conversation with Christ on the cross. I mean, it's... I, you know, when, when you've been praying regularly and working your way up to it, I mean, you really feel it when you're talking to somebody who's suffering. Uh, it reminds me of going to the hospital and visiting with people who are, you know, imminent death. So the reality of the gospel grows. And I, I want to show you a quick diagram. I, I, I love this diagram. It's called the Growing Cross Diagram. You know, in our lives... We hear the gospel at some point, and we say, you know, the spirit works however your theology is. We go from being a non-Christian to a Christian. And then what do we do after that? This diagram, you know, your lifeline is going that way, right, as you get older. So you become a Christian, and that's where the cross bridges the gap between the, the, the upper line and the lower line. Now, the upper line is your knowledge of God. So as you go on in your Christian life, you learn more and more about God, his holiness. You read the Bible, who Christ is, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. You're learning all these things, so your knowledge of God goes up. At the same time, you're really learning about yourself, too, your own sinfulness, things you didn't think were sins. God finally reveals them to you. Thankfully, God doesn't reveal all our sins to us at once. At the beginning, it would probably turn us into little cinders, you know? But we slowly learn more about ourselves. 
Well, the problem is, if our, if our mental picture or our heart picture of Christ and the gospel doesn't change, we get these gaps, right? Our, the cross doesn't get any bigger, metaphorically, right, to continue to bridge the gap. So sometimes we try and fill it in. We try and fill it in by saying, performing, you know, oh, I'll just perform harder. I'll, I'll help Val lead the TI exercise, <laughs> you know, or, or I'll do all these other kinds of service things. Not that service things are only for that, but that's one way we sometimes compensate. Or underneath, we try and fill in the gap between our own sin by, by pretending or minimizing saying, oh, you know, I, no, that really isn't that bad, and you know what I did that, oh, well, lots of people are doing that kind of thing. We, we, we try rationalizations for our own sin. But what really needs to happen, if you could put up the next one, is we need for the, our, the cross to grow and grow and grow and never stop growing. That as we go through our lives, Christ and his work gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's no need for pretending or performing. Reason? Because he's done it all. You're pretending and, or you're performing doesn't make any difference. But when you're doing it out of love and service for Christ, that's the right reason, right? You're just serving the king. Serving the king, and you want to do that. Now I've gotten behind in my own notes here. So I, the thing about the exercises and, and about this diagram, I've got a couple of quotes here. Salvation is not a gift from God. It is a gift who is God. And as we get to know our salvation, we're getting to know Christ, and he's just getting bigger and bigger. God brings me to himself and then gives himself to me. That's what's supposed to be happening in our Christian life, just growing and growing in the knowledge and love of God and what he's done for us. You know, Jesus said, I got from John 14, you know, the upper room discourse. He said, um, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will manifest, reveal, show myself to him. Christ wants to reveal himself. He goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God wants you to know him intimately and be changed by that. And then at the end, you know, we're going to share in Jesus' resurrection. Sharing in Jesus' resurrection. The post-resurrection appearances we'll take a look at. How do I live before so great a king? How do I live before so great a king? You know, he's the living, reigning creator, the sustainer of the universe, and he loves you. What, what is that? How do I live? You know, and, and for, for our, the next 28 weeks, I hope you'll live with integrity. Integrity, what do I mean by integrity? We're going to ask you to do things, and we would like you to actually do them. You know, I, I used to teach at the School for Drill Instructors at Paris Island, and they used to graciously invite me to go out on hikes and runs and other torture events that they had. <laughs> and I remember the first hike I went out with packs and all that stuff, and they gave you a list which you had to bring in your pack and blah, blah, blah. And I got there, and I did the 
hike and I, you know, we were done and I was standing in the parking lot going, Lord, please just let me make it to the car. And, <laughs> and I went to walk to the car and one of the gunnery sergeants was like, hey, chaps, chaps, come on back, come on back. And I'm like, what, what? He's like, integrity check. I'm like, integrity check? What, are we going to have questions? It's like, he's like, no, we all got to dump out our packs and we go through the list and make sure everybody carried what we were supposed to carry, that nobody cheated on the list. And I was thinking, thank God I was not, I was too stupid to even think of doing that. <laughs> So they went through everybody's pack to see if anybody missed anything, to see if you were, you know, otherwise you were in the doghouse, thankfully. Yeah. But that's what we're, we're, I'm asking from you. You know, do the readings. Drag yourself into your prayer spot and pray. It won't go well all the time. I guarantee it. And then when you come to your group, tell them that. Be honest about it, you know. Uh, do these exercises with integrity. You know, you probably will only do these once in your life. So I really encourage you to, to, to go at them. You know, don't, don't take the, the easy way out. Um, so I can say a word about the Jesuits real quick. Do I have time to say what, how am I doing? 1024? Um, so what about the Jesuits? They all go through these programs, and if any of you know your Reformation history, especially after the Council of Trent, the Jesuits really went after all the Reformed churches. Well, uh, two things I would say. One, one thing the Jesuits did that I think was, well, I guess I'll just say a mistake. They, they made their allegiance to a person other than Jesus. They pledge their allegiance completely to the Pope, right? And what's the problem with that? He's the Pope, but he's also human, right? He's not human divine like Jesus. He's, the, he's human. And uh, one of the things that happened, even before Ignatius died, the Pope changed and became one of Ignatius's worst enemies became Pope. And he did change the Jesuits. So that may have been one of the reasons that's all speculation. But I think it's interesting in the military, we swear an oath. I don't know if any of you know the oath that everybody in the military takes, but you take an oath not to a person. The oath is always, raise your right hand, do you solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America? We take an oath to a document. And, and, you have a requirement not to obey unlawful orders. Not so easy to do, but you have that requirement that you're, uh, if, an author, off, if an order is unlawful, you're required not to follow that order. So you're not let off the hook, right? If you remember at the Nuremberg trials, the normal response of the Germans was I was only following orders and that wasn't acceptable. So. So we pledge ourselves to the only incorruptible, perfect person, and that's Jesus Christ. And uh, so we want to grow so close to him that our hearts are really on fire with, with his love. It's his love. And that's what it's about. Next time you come, wear your boots. <laughs> Be ready to do push-ups. No.